how blessed we are to uh, be a worshiping family. I just want to mention a couple of uh, specific needs, and then um, I'd like to pray for them before the message today. Uh, Diane and Nia was uh, taken, Jim took her to the hospital yesterday. She has a fever that just won't go away, and they're trying to identify what that is. So pray for Diane. She's at Chandler Hospital. And uh, Jim, it's all right if people drop by to say hi, right? Okay, so if you'd like to drop by after church, I'm going to go over there after church and say hi and pray for her. So, and then also for Rita, as she's um, dealing with the grief of losing her husband, and really, uh, she has devoted 24-7 to Ron for for 15 years, um, and um, she's now not free from that responsibility, but missing very much her husband. So if you keep her in your prayers as well. So Lord, we just lift up to you right now, uh, Diana Nia, she's in the hospital, probably feeling somewhat alone, knowing that she is normally here worshiping with us. May she know of your love, and may she know of our love. And we pray, Father, that the nurses and the doctors would have wisdom in diagnosing uh, this fever and and have a cure for that. Father, may you bless her right now. And Lord, for Rita, we just lift her up, and she's feeling alone and sad and broken, and we pray, Father, that you would be her comforter, uh, that you would be her everything. And Lord, we pray that for us uh, as we worship now, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as I bring the word today, that uh, that word would be um, everything in these next moments, that the Word of God would move among us and fill us and be in us and around us and transform us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we desire to grow in our faith. Each one of us does. I don't think there's any one person here that would say they don't want to grow closer to you. But Lord, sometimes we need help in knowing how to do that. And today, Father, may your Word come alive in us and around us. And just bless us. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Well, today we're beginning our third week in our new series that we've entitled My Ebenezer. And again, it's a very unusual name, but I thought it was very cool, so I thought, let's use it, you know, so it's used one time in the Bible, and it was used by Samuel, and it referred to a, a rock or a pile of rocks, and this, this one here is, uh, Ryan's put these together, a rock or a pile of rocks that reminds us of God's faithfulness, that reminds us that God is with us. In fact, the rock itself, Ebenezer, means a stone of help. And God has promised us that he would be with us, he would redeem us, he would deliver us, he would forgive us, he would reconcile us to himself. All of these things are promises that we find in an Ebenezer. Now there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a modern day equivalent to an Ebenezer, and it's called a trail carn, a trail carn, C-A-I-R-N. And that is where uh, people have uh, gone on uh, uh, paths or trails that have not uh, been well marked, and when you're on this path, or maybe you're out in the desert or on the Mogollon Rim, and you don't quite know where you're going, if you see one of these stacks of stones where hikers have left this, you say, okay, I know this is the way. I know I'm on the right path. And another thing it reminds you of, these trail carns, is that someone has passed this way before. And so we, as, as Christ followers, need these 
signs, these stones, these remembrances that say, you know what, this is the way to go. This is the right path that you're on. And, and also, not only is this the right path you're on, people have gone this way before. Uh, for, for thousands of years, people have said, okay, I want to follow God, and, and here's the, f- the way, here's the path, here's the way to go. So that's what we're looking at today, these remembrances. Now, we've talked about two so far. One is very obvious, and it was the foundation of our whole series, that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is our roadmap. The Bible is our trail carn. The Bible is our Ebenezer. This is what teaches us how to live our lives and which way to go. When we're on a path, And God says, here's the path I want you to take, this path always walking towards Jesus, always walking towards the light. When you get off that path, this is a uh, reminder that says, come on, come back where you belong. Come back into the arms of Jesus. Come back into the fellowship of the church. Come back into the, the love of God's light. Come back, come back. And so the Bible is constantly calling us back. And we looked at two weeks ago about the authenticity. Can we believe the Bible is the word of God? And if you didn't hear that sermon, you can go online and listen to that sermon two weeks ago because it's kind of foundational for everything else we're doing. So we discovered that the first and most important Ebenezer, that stone of remembrance, is the Bible as the Word of God. And then last week we talked about the second stone of remembrance being the body of Christ, the church. And we talked about how that we need each other. And I was very honest in sharing with you my confession. I need you to walk with me. And I need you to work beside me as members of the body of Christ. And I need you to watch out for me. I need you to be my paraclete. And you need each other to be your paracletes. And the paraclete is like the Holy Spirit that, that watches your back. We need each other. We need to, uh, to, to, to watch out for each other. We need to weep with each other. And we need to witness with each other. So the first two stones of remembrance are remember the Word of God and remember to connect to other believers to the body of Christ. Today, our third Ebenezer is remember to grow. Remember to take those steps that you need to take, and each one is individual, as individual is different, the steps that you need to take to take one step closer to Christ. Uh, One thing that we ask anyone that comes to our church, even visitors for the first time, and some of you are here maybe for the first time, we ask everyone basically the same question. Are you willing to consider what it means for you to take one step closer to God? Whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, whether you're uh, so-and-so, sometimes a Christ follower, wherever you are in your walk, are you willing to consider what it means for you to take one step closer to God? I think we all understand the need to grow. We understand that to be strengthened in our faith, to, we need to build up our spiritual muscles. Uh, a few years ago, I was preaching on strengthening our faith, and I used as a kind of a, a, a model of that, I asked one of our teenagers at the time, Josh Boydston, who's now uh, married and, and has finished college, but when he was in high school, I asked Josh to stand up here, and I gave him two dumbbells, which were appropriate for Josh, you know, I, th- I felt. And I asked him to just do curls kind of the whole time while I was talking. What I didn't tell him was that I intended to talk a long time while he was doing that. So he starts out, and, you know, Josh is just like every other teenager. He thinks he's totally cool, you know. And he's up here, you know, no problem, piece of cake. And then after about five minutes, he's going, you know, and his, you can see his whole body just kind of tensing up. Well, we need that kind of intensity in growing in our faith. And saying, you know what, I want to take that kind of step, that kind of intense, passionate step 
towards Jesus. You've all heard, and I've talked about it over Christmas, you've all heard of the Peter Pan syndrome or what we call Peter Pandemonium. And it's literally the failure to grow up. It's literally someone says, you know what, I just want to eat cold cereal and play video games all. I don't want to grow up. Peter Pandemonium. But we all have to grow up, and especially growing up in our faith. How many times have we known Christians who said yes to Jesus, who had a passionate experience with Jesus, but then they failed to continue growing in their faith, and they shriveled up and they died? We need to grow up in Christ. We need to be devoted, fully devoted Christ followers, and we need to grow up in our faith. We often ask our children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, uh, there was a, a, a pastor who had a son, and that will remain unknown who that actually is. There's a pastor who had a son, and the son asked, or the dad asked the, pa- the son, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, well, I decided that I want to be a minister. And the dad said, kind of prideful and kind of, well, why do you want to be a minister? He said, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, I've got to be at church anyway, and I'd rather be up on the stage yelling at people instead of sitting down in the audience getting yelled at. So everybody has to learn what it means to grow up. What does it mean for you to grow up? What does it mean for you to grow up in your faith? Well, that's what I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. Growth is recognizing where you are and deciding where you want to be. It's taking steps towards that goal. Now, there's two parts to my message today. One is very objective. All of you left-brain people will get this. And the second part is very subjective. And um, it's more of a personal testimony. So I want to start by giving you an acrostic that will help you remember steps to growth. Now, Growing in Christ is not follow these three steps and you'll grow in Christ. But these are some ways that the Bible identifies, God, God's Word identifies, how you can take steps closer to God. So we're going to look at those four steps. Acrostic, grow. G, God's Word, we've already talked about that. R, relationships. O, obedient living. And W, worship. And we've always already had some of that experience this morning as we worship the Lord together. So I look at those four things, and that will help you give you the how of growing in your faith. And then after that, I want to give you the why or the heart of growing in your faith. So the first one is this, God's Word. We can't grow in our faith apart from God's Word. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says in the New Living Testament. For the Word of God is alive, that means God-breathed, and powerful. The word there is dynamos, dynamite. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, Hebrews 4, 12. Now, this is an amazing passage that talks about the power of of the Word of God in you. Now, we talked about its authenticity a couple of weeks ago, but today I more want you to see and examine what does it mean for me to allow the Word of God become part of me and in me, and how does that change my life? How does that transform my life? So when we talk about these four areas, God's Word being the first, you need to understand this is how your life can be transformed. Now, I just want to do a little bit of teaching around the word, uh, word. Okay, when we talk about the Word, uh, for those of you who are new to Christ, Christ, the faith, uh, Bible, Christianity, all of that, 
The word, when we say that, we're talking about the Bible. Okay, the Bible that we've had in our possession for over 1,500 years and that God has been busy working on and writing for about 4,000 years. So we have, uh, I said, did I say 1,500 or 15,000? 1,500 is what I wanted to say. So we have this Word of God. We have this Bible. And so when I say the Word, I'm talking about the Word of God, the living, breathing Word of God. So the Word has two different words to describe the Word, okay? One word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's a Greek word, and it means, it means kind of God's original thought or idea. God's plan for the cosmos, for the universe, and for you. God's idea of how this plan wants to come together. So this word, this general word says, okay, this is God's idea for the whole planned universe, for the planet, for each and every one of us. This is God's plan. This is God's word. So this word has, contains in it that logos, which is, thus saith the Lord. God says this, and he says this for all people, for all time. So that's a very important, powerful word. But there's also another word for word, and it's ramos, R-A-I-M-O-S. Some of you have heard about that before. Ramos is a very specific, precise, directed word to you. Okay, logos is a general word for all people for all time. Ramos is a very specific word for you. Now, those of you who have been Christ followers for a long time recognize this. When you're having your devotions, uh, when you hear something preached that literally pricks your heart, that literally, that, that knife, that two-edged sword, literally stabs you, that's for me. I can't tell you how many times after a sermon, someone will say, Dwayne, did you preach that sermon just for me? And of course, I didn't. I didn't. I, I'd like to tell you that I thought of you what I re, re, when I wrote it, but I didn't. Uh, I thought of you as a general, but not specific. And, and, but what they're saying is that I just heard a Ramos. And it, it was a Logos. It was for all of us, for all people, for all time. But I heard, I heard God say something to me. Let me give you an example. So God says, um, I helped Adam name all the animals, all the plants. So, and God has named a lot of things in the world. So God is good at naming things. But it also says that God named you. Okay, so that's cool. Uh, God knows your name. He didn't name you. He knows your name. So you say, wow, that's, that's good. God knows my name. That's a logos. That means God knows your name. But, but then a ramos is this. Listen to this. This is a ramos. This is Psalm 139. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, you are still with me. It's wonderful to know that God knows your name. But listen, God knows you. He knows you in your he knew you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about your heart, everything about your soul, everything about your desires, your wants, your needs, your brokenness, your sin. He knows everything about you. Logos means good. He knows your name. Aramos, he knows you. Each and every one of us can experience a Ramos every day. When we open our hearts to the Father, when we allow Him to speak truth into us. For instance, the, the enemy is constantly whispering in your ear the wrong thing. The enemy is constantly whispering to you something like this. 
You're no good. You're not worth anything. Uh, You failed God a thousand times. Why on earth would God ever want you? That's what the enemy whispers to you. Here's a Ramos for that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. That's what Anna read for us earlier. Nothing. The enemy says, well, you're all alone. And and you're you're no good. And uh, I don't care about you. That's what the enemy's whispering to you constantly. But the Ramos for you is this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a specific precise, direct word for you. The enemy says, you're not really a Christ follower. How could you possibly be a Christ follower and do that sin or think that thought? And here's what 1 John 5, 12 says, he who has the Son has life. A precise, specific word of God. It pierces the enemy and it pierces our hearts. The enemy runs away. Have you heard that kind of word from the Father. He brings it to you every day. He wants you to be overwhelmed with the truth about his crazy, unimaginable, wild, passionate love for you. You want to grow in your faith? You want to take a step closer to God? This book is waiting. This is God breathe. This is Jesus Christ in written form. You can grow when you allow the word of God to take part in you, especially a ramos, a word directly from God. So we need to grow. We need God's word. Secondly, we need relationships. We need healthy and effective spiritual relationships in our life. Now, you also know what I mean. I've told you this many times. You also need to have a lot of, uh, of unsaved friends. You need to have a lot of friends that do not know Christ because you are called to be a light. You're called to be an emissary. Okay, you are God's anointed emissary from heaven with his good news of God's grace to bring down to this earth. So you should have a lot of unsaved friends in your life, but you need to have those relationships that are rock solid. Christ followers who love you, who will hold you accountable because we walk with each other. We need each other. We work with each other. We worship with each other. We need all of each other to make our relationships work. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We need each other. I talked a lot about that last week, so we'll move on. We also need obedient living. This is not the kind of, okay, the Bible says I should read my Bible, so I'll read my Bible. That's good. That's good. I'm talking about radical obedience. I'm talking about the kind of obedience that loves your neighbor. I'm talking about the kind of obedience that says love your enemy. The kind of obedience that says, okay, the world does it this way. The world always does power from above. Whoever has the power has the right. I'm talking about doing exactly the opposite of that, what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came to bring you life abundant, and I came to serve you. So Jesus says, I serve from under, when the world says always we should serve from over. We should exert power on everyone. We need to live obedient. This is what the Word of God says. O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, Micah 7, 8. We need each other, and we need to walk obediently with God. And then the last thing we need to grow, we need God's word, relationships, we need obedient living, and we need worship. The word worship means literally, it comes from the word liturgia. Now that sounds kind of like liturgy, if you grazed in a a Catholic church or a Lutheran church or a higher church, you will hear a lot about liturgy. That's where the word liturgia comes from. But here's what the word means. It means the work of the people. 
It's not about uh, singing or saying something that you don't understand. It's talking about worshiping together. Uh, this morning when we worship together, I, I always love sitting in the front for a couple of reasons. One is I'm not distracted by what anybody else is doing or saying or anything. And the other reason I love to sit in the front is because I feel this wave of, of singing and praise coming from behind me. You know, I feel it from up here on the front, and I feel it from behind me, and I feel like I'm kind of enveloped in this worship, the work of the people. What that means is this, to literally pay attention to God. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That's what worship means, pay attention to God. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, think magnificently of God. That's what worship means. First Chronicles 16, 29, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. So that's, uh, that's growth, okay? That's growing. God's word, relationships, obedient living, and worship. Now for a few moments, I want to talk to you about a more subjective way of looking at growth. I want to talk to you about the heart of growing in your faith. And I want to just talk about this in one context, and it's this. What does it mean for you to hunger for the presence of God? Now, it's one thing to make a decision, I'm going to grow, okay? I'm going to take steps closer to God. Okay, that's good, and we need to do that. But what does it mean for you, literally, to hunger for Jesus? That's what I want to talk about now. And I want to begin by uh, pointing you to an amazing verse in uh, Peter's first book, 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3. This is what it says. Like newborn babies, let's stop there. What he's talking about is that when you are born again, okay, you've heard that phrase, it's been popular ever since uh, Jimmy Carter. When you are born again, that means that you have been spiritually born, passed from death to life. Uh, you hear us around here talk a lot about giving your heart to Jesus, to being converted, to being saved, to being redeemed, to being delivered. All of these are the same word that means that we have literally said, okay, I forfeit my heart and my life and my soul to God. I give my life to Him. So that's what it means to be born again. You're born of the Spirit. You're born brand new. So like newborn babies, we're all babies when we're first believers, crave the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what Peter is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that you, once you become a baby Christian, when you're born again, when you're brand new in the faith, you need the pure spiritual word. You need the word of God to change you and to, to literally make you into something that you're not before. Once you have been in the presence of the Lord, that's what that verse says. Once you have tasted what it's like to be in Christ, nothing the world offers will ever be enough. So the question from this text is this. What do you hunger and thirst for? What is it that you desire? What have you come to believe will satisfy your soul? What in your years of being on this planet, what have you come to believe for you will make you happy and satisfy you? That's the question that this text answers today. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay? Now, the word blessed means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, the context in which Jesus spoke this was 
called the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in the first gospel, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now, in this verse, in, in this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has gathered, uh, there, there, there's thousands of people before him. Some estimates are 5,000 or even many more than that. The Bible says 5,000, but sometimes they only counted men. So it could have been 10, 12, 15,000 people there. Huge crowd on uh, the side of the mountain. And uh, as Jesus approached to talk to them, there was just kind of this buzz in the whole group. Okay, here's, here's why there was a buzz. People had been watching Jesus. They'd seen him change water into wine. They'd seen him change, uh, heal a blind man. They had seen him do all of these miracles. And it started out with the 12 disciples, but then it started growing and growing and growing. And more and more people were following. More and more people were hearing the rumors. Can this man really be the Messiah? Can this man really do what he said to do? And among the crowd, there was this buzz that said something like this. Okay, if he's the Messiah, then he's going to deliver us from the, Ro- the rule of the Romans. He's going to deliver us from our, uh, the people who have in, 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 imprisoned us for hundreds of years. He is going to free us from the Roman government. He is going to be our Savior. And that's what Judas of Iscariot thought. Judas thought that Jesus was going to free them from the Roman government. And so Judas, Judas was ready to draw his sword and, and, and go for it. And so many in the crowd were thinking about, oh, this is what's going to happen. So this is going to be the speech. This is where he's going to say, okay, here's our marching orders. Everybody draw your swords. Everybody, let's go. We're going to go and turn this thing upside down, and Christ is going to be our leader, and we're going to overthrow the government, and we're going to be set free, and it's going to be awesome and everything. And then Jesus started out, and he said this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, he, and people said, what does that mean? <laughs> what about our swords? You know, what about our, 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 our call to war, our call to battle? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What happened? What about the victory we're supposed to have over Rome? Jesus said, but I've brought you a different kind of victory. I'd rather... Instead of victory over Rome, I'd rather give you victory over your sin. What about freedom? Well, I've set you free from the power of darkness. What about the power that we think we can have if we draw our swords against the nation? Well, it's not by your power, Jesus said, but by my spirit. What about this kind of abundant, exciting life that you're promising? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. What about this man that was raised from the dead called Lazarus? Jesus said, that's true. And I promise you that every one of you be resurrected from the dead. What what is all that about? Of all the things we hunger for, the freedom, the purpose, the truth, the power, all of these people on 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 the hillside were saying, what's going on? Jesus said this, look, it's not about what you believe about me or about my power or about my might. It's not about what you think I can do to the Roman government. It's not what you think I can do to deliver you from the bondage that you've experienced for hundreds of years. It's none of that. Jesus said it's this. It's just about me. It's just about a relationship with me. If you have Christ, then the kingdom of God is, the Bible says, within you. If you have Christ, then you have resurrection. If you have Christ, you have peace. You have salvation. It's all about the presence of Christ. It's not about the external, the kingdom of man. It's not about all the things that we can do politically. It's not about all of those things on the outside. It's about every man and woman saying, I have a relationship with Jesus that's transformed me, and I want to share that with you. I'm it, Jesus said. You want that life? You find it in me. 
Jesus was trying to communicate a fundamental, absolute truth. If you are hungry, and if you are thirsty, I will be your bread, and I will be your drink. If you are hungry, and if you are thirsty, it's the presence of Jesus in your life. That's what makes the difference. Um, over uh, the week between Christmas and um, New Year's, Sherry and I went over to San Diego, and Mom and Dad uh, have a, a timeshare at uh, north of San Diego, at um, um, Lawrence Welk. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess it was this, Lawrence Welk. And uh, so we go there with Sherry's family, and anybody from the family comes over, and we have a good time together. Well, on New Year's Day. Um, Sherry and Andrea had a tea party for the little girls, and they were having fun. And during the tea party, the girls kind of talked about Jesus. And one of the little girls, Alice, who's three and a half, almost four, said, well, Jesus lives in my heart. And all the other girls said, well, he lives in my heart too. You know, one of those deals. So that's awesome, you know, that's good com competition. And, so, and then a little bit later that night when we were getting ready to eat, um, uh, Alice got in trouble. And she did something mean to her sister, and... She was mad. Her mom busted her, and she tried to make her apologize. She didn't want to apologize. And so she had to go in the other room. So as everybody's getting their food, I went into the other room to check on the scores, and there was Alice by herself. And so I sat down next to her. I said, Alice, how's it going? She said, not so good, Uncle D. You know, this kid, three and a half years old. Yeah, this kid's amazing. Not so good, Uncle D. I said, what's the matter? She said, my heart hurts. I said, what do you mean your heart hurts? She said, well... Uh, I know that Jesus lives in my heart, but I did something mean to my sister, and I didn't tell her sorry, and now my heart hurts. I said, well, what do you think you ought to do about that? She said, I think I ought to, I think I ought to tell Macy that I'm sorry. I said, well, what do you think will happen when you do that? She said, my heart won't hurt anymore. And so she did that, and it was just this sweet, a beautiful, fresh from heaven. Children are so fresh from heaven, and it's so real. And see, what she realizes as a three-and-a-half-year-old is that nothing matters more than the presence of Jesus in your life. And when your heart hurts, and friends, if you're a grown-up and your heart doesn't hurt anymore, that's, 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 that's too bad. Because every time I sin, my heart hurts. Every time I break God's heart, my heart hurts. That's what it means to practice the presence of Jesus. If you are hungry, if you are thirsty, Jesus said, I will be your bread. I will be your drink. I assume that all of us believe and understand that every person in the world experiences hunger and thirst in life. Not just physically. A lot of people, unfortunately, don't have food and drink in the world. But spiritually speaking, everyone, I think we would all agree, has this longing, this deep longing for something, for value, for meaning, for belonging, for purpose. And so I don't think the difference is that some people are hungry and thirsty and some people aren't. I just think the difference is, what are you hungry and thirsty for? What have you come to believe will satisfy you? I mean, this kind of hunger is true for every one of us. It's as true for um, a, a homeless person as it is for the CEO of Intel. Everybody has a longing, a hunger for something in life that makes us matter. What separates us is not the hunger but what we hunger for. The prophet Amos said this, they pant after the dust of the earth. <laughs> what Amos was saying was that so many people are running around and they're filling their lungs and their life with all of the, the earth has to offer. All the world has to offer. The little kingdom, 
the kingdom of man. Oh, if only I have more of this, if I have more money, if I have more position, if I have more sex, if I have more status in life, if I have more, if I somehow, some way, I will fill my soul up. And Amos says, but it's dust. After a while, you begin to choke and you can't breathe and it just isn't satisfying. Amos said further in chapter 8, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of healing for the words of the Lord. I say it, Isaiah said it another way when he said that you're hungry for something. So many people in the world are hungry, and this is what Isaiah said, for that which is not bread. <laughs> we hunger for something. We believe that something will satisfy us. And Isaiah said, there's only one thing that can do that, and that is the, the, the passion and presence of the Lord. Only Jesus satisfies. The woman on the well tried to identify what satisfied her. She had many sexual experiences. She had hunger and thirst for physical love and care and security. And she'd try and look for it anywhere, but she never found it. And here's what Jesus said to her. Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, who drinks this water. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him, listen, a spring of living water. Do you want your thirst quenched? And I'm not talking about just satisfying something in you. But do you want that deep down soul thirst quenched? Do you want your hunger satisfied? Matthew 5, 6 says it this way in the message. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. Is he enough? Can you truly be satisfied with him? Francis Chan says it this way. Look at it this way. What if you had everything that you think heaven would provide? No pain, no sadness, no brokenness, a perfect family, perfect relationships, no money problems, perfect food, what if you had everything that heaven had to offer? Would you be satisfied with that if Jesus were not there? If your answer is yes, you're identifying that there are things that will satisfy you, but the only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus himself. Is he your source? Is he your life? Or is he just what he can provide? Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and nothing else satisfies. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, we know how important it is to grow in our faith, and we always want to take steps towards that growth. We want to be part of grow groups. We want to study our Bibles. We want to go deeper. We want all of these things. Father, the thing that we need the most is simply the presence of Jesus alive in us every moment of every day, alive in us, that we recognize that that is the only bread, the only water that will ever satisfy. We need Jesus, and we need him desperately in our lives. So, Father, I pray that for those here this morning who recognize that, that they would just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are my bread, that you are my drink. Thank you that I am satisfied with all that you provide. 
And Father, for those who are here this morning that maybe have never experienced that in quite that way, my prayer is that they would simply open up their hearts to you. The Bible's very clear on this. It says, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So Lord, draw near to each heart that is hungry and thirsty for you. Not what you can provide, not the tricks you can do or the things you can make, but you, the presence of Jesus in our lives. So Father, I pray this for every person in this room, that they might experience the very real presence of Jesus. And I pray this in his precious name.